You're listening to Chasing Kangaroos, the rugby league podcast for fans who are passionate about seeing the game played in more places. All right, Kangaroo Chasers, well, this one is a little bit different. Normally, we speak to the guys and girls who are playing, coaching, or administering rugby league development all over the world. Uh, But this is a little bit different. We're talking to the guys and girls who are helping with the marketing and branding of rugby league all the way around the world. And uh, it's a conversation I've been looking forward to for a long, long time. Uh, We're going to start with uh, the digital consultant for International Rugby League, Sarah Piper. Welcome to Chasing Kangaroos. Hello, Carves. Thank you for having me. It's nice to nice to be on. Yeah, well, um, it's fantastic to have you on. And um, tell me, tell you're normally based in the UK, but I believe you've been stuck mm-hmm. back at home in country New South Wales for the last few months. That's right. That's right. So I um I came back for a wedding, for a friend's wedding. Uh, it was supposed to be on the fourth of April. So I landed sort of late March. The wedding got cancelled. My flight back to the UK got cancelled, and here I am, still in a lovely country, New South Wales. So everything not to got worry. It, everything got cancelled, but you've probably had a lot of time to think about how we can uh, grow the game of rugby league through marketing. So you've pro- it's probably a perfect time to be speaking that, to you about the subject. Of course, that's all I've done, Carl. <laughs> I've just thought about this great game of ours and how we can how we can grow it. Uh, no, I've actually had some time off, which has been lovely, which I know a lot of people have. Yeah. Um, we, I've sort of, you know, my hours have been cut down a little bit and like most people I know in the, the sporting industry. So we have been working. We still are on the tools, um, but we've also had a little bit of time for ourselves and our families, which has been really lovely as well. That is fantastic. There is a, a positive to all of it and definitely hanging out with family has been one good thing, I guess, that has come out of the recent world news, but uh, that's, that's, that's all good. Um, our other guests tonight and many of, our, many of our listeners will have seen the great work from this man on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's Matt Haynes, graphic designer extraordinaire to the world of rugby league. How are you, Matty? Yeah, good. Thanks, Carbs. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's different to be on this side of the podcast, but definitely excited to be here. So thank you. It's great to have you, mate. It's great to have you both. And I'm really keen. So many of the listeners will know, and I don't talk about it a lot, but marketing, advertising, design, it is my it is my trade. I've been doing it for many years. And actually, I've stopped doing it over the last few months. I'm now in business development, but I've owned my own marketing agencies and I've just been around that world for, for as long as I can remember. So it's great to have you guys on for this conversation. It's going to be a different one for us. And uh, yeah, like I said, been looking forward to it for a while. So let's get straight into it. And I'll start with you, Sarah. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all, a little bit about your rugby league story when it comes to when it comes to the marketing and the digital world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I guess, yeah, two worlds combined, like a love for rugby league, a love for this sport, um, and then also a love for, for marketing and all things digital yeah. as well. Um, I grew up in Newcastle. My dad actually played um, for Lakes United, so he was a first-grade play, player up in Newcastle. I think like a lot of people in rugby league, you know, you're sort of born into it and you grow up and you're around it and you sort of don't have a choice but to become a fan. Yeah. Um, I moved to Melbourne when I was 17 to go to uni there, so I went to RMIT and of a weekend, I would actually work for the Melbourne Cricket Club at the MCG uh, on the on the members' desk there. And I, uh, 
you know, you'd have the big games and yep. they'd do the talk of the town and it'd be cats versus the pies. And I'd find myself sneaking off at halftime to go to Olympic Park to watch the storm. <laughs> um, so I uh, always had a love for for rugby league and um, at RMIT I studied communication design from there I went into um, I was an art director for McCann Erickson and from there I went in-house into marketing management in-house I moved up to Sydney Uh, I was with the Sydney Cricket and Sports Ground Trust from there I started my own business um, largely freelancing to to sporting bodies who I'd met through the Sydney Cricket and Sports Ground Trust and one of my clients was the NRL and that work soon became, you know, almost my sole client and I ended up working for them full time. Out of that, uh, the Rugby League World Cup 2017 organising committee yeah. um, sort of grew up out of the NRL in 2015. So I jumped ship and, um, and therein lies a, a love born for International Rugby League. Here we are. I love it. That's fantastic. And uh, Maddie, tell us a little bit about your story, mate, because uh, having the NRL as a client, I'm sure is something that you will get to one day. I've seen your work. It's amazing. Tell us a little bit about your design story and what what you do for some of the clubs and, and nations around the world of rugby league. Yeah, so it all just started. So I've always collected jerseys and it got to a point where I think maybe it was the Knights, I'm not sure, but I, I just wasn't happy with what came out that year. So I thought <laughs> I'll have a crack, I'll see what I can come out with. Um, it's kind of just grown from there. I moved to Coffs Harbour after I finished uni to work at the stadium there. Um, I moved there, I got there, I was looking for a soccer team to play for. Um, looking on the websites and kind of there was just only one team that had a, a high definition logo. I looked on their social media pages, they had nice jerseys. I thought, well, this is the team I'll play for, that they look the most professional. So I played for them and I thought from there maybe maybe I can use the skills that I've learned to provide that service to grassroots clubs um, at kind of a price where they can afford it and still put money back into the clubs. Yep. Um, from, from there, it's kind of grown. I've done work for international teams, um, the Super League, uh, Rugby League competition, um, and who, it just keeps growing. Who are some of the teams, of, who are some of the teams, Maddie, that you've done some work for, man? Let us, let us know, like uh, any, anywhere around the world. Yeah, so international Rugby League teams at the moment, uh, the Netherlands, Got Italy, uh, got Uruguay, um, uh, a lot, lot more. I just can't think of them off the top of my head, but yeah. So um, that, that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. I'm really enjoying that that way of going about things, trying to give back to the sport. Um, it, it would be great, not denying it, to to have uh, an NRL team run out in something that I've designed, but I think I take a lot more from being able to give to these countries and clubs who can't afford to pay professional designers in that way. So, yeah. Yeah. You touched on something really important and I think interesting to me is that you you were looking for a soccer club and you were drawn to the one that had a high high definition logo on their website pretty much or or they had Mm -hmm. a nice jersey. And a lot of like, this is like business in general, a lot of small businesses are like this, but a lot of like grassroots teams, nations, clubs, what have you, they don't understand the importance of of a brand. T- tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that, Maddie. Yeah, definitely agree. So I think 
having that strong brand just gives you your, your organization or your club, whatever you are, a credibility. So like I said, for any new player or sponsor, if that's their first um, impression of your club, that they see that the, the logo is <laughs> looks like it was made 40 years ago on paint and uh, was there paint the, the, 40 years ago? I love it. No, I'm just kidding. Keep going. <laughs> we, we, we're natural paint. So, um, so I, I think, yeah, it's definitely you've got to give yourself that opportunity to to uh, draw attention to someone new, especially sponsors in this day and age. Um, at a grassroots level, the ability to get sponsors on board can, can change your entire club around. So. It is important. Like you need to show, especially a lot of these clubs that are starting out, they're trying to raise funds, build sponsors, attract players, attract fans. You need to look the part. It's really important. And I think you've you sort of tapped into something there, Maddie. And, and yeah, great job. Sarah, what about yourself? Like there's obvious, you're obviously seeing with your involvement in international rugby league, a whole, mm. a whole heap of challenges with a lot of the nations mm. and, and governing bodies involved. What are some mm. of those that you're finding, you know, since you've started, moved across from the NRL? And, and the World Cup to to international rugby league. Uh, yeah, look, I think a lot of the a lot of the challenges that I have faced in the last sort of eighteen months, or even you know as far back as three years and um, World Cup twenty seventeen, yeah, are similar to where the NRL was when I started with them. Um, you know, in in twenty thirteen, the NRL. Um, the digital rights were owned by Telstra. Um, I think there was only maybe three in the marketing team. There was only two in social media. And now you've got nine in social media now. You've got, I don't even know how much and how many people are in their marketing team. Yep. Um, they had a club funding model where uh, a lot of the, the – uh, marketing resources were provided by the NRL to clubs. I think the challenge with back then are a lot of the challenges, you know, that, that they've overcome and we're now sort of catching up in, in international rugby league and we're starting to address the same, same challenges. I think it's largely the differing degrees of professionalism across the member nations. So yep. it would be like across the, the clubs, for example. Of course, if you've got 16 clubs in two states um, that, that are prominent, you're going to have varying degrees of professionalism and varying degrees of revenue that provide resources. So, um, who, you know, a graphic designer in one club might also be the photographer, the social media manager, yep. and maybe even the marketing manager. Yep. Um, so you replicate those same challenges with international rugby league. Now you talk about, you know, low res logos, you know, when I started working on this project with, um, or my scope of work with international rugby league, we were the rugby league international federation at the moment. So part of my work has been to rebrand them. Um, we had, I, I knew of one JPEG uh, logo in <laughs> yeah. one colour, you know, that wasn't big enough for anything. The yeah. world has changed. We live in a much more visual world and you're not just seeing branding and team representation in terms of one logo um, on a kit when your team runs out. It's every single day of the week uh, on every platform across, um, you know, across social media or across any other channel as well. So um, I've always said with international rugby league, you know, yeah, we have an enormous, we have a mountain of challenges a ahead of us, um, but it's exactly where the NRL was five years ago, and I don't see why we can't change those for international rugby league and, and the member nations also. It's an interesting point because I've said a few times on this show that I feel like a lot of the developing nations in particular 
all they need to do on their socials is tr- for now anyway is try and replicate the NRL and I don't mean like you got to have your own culture and your own voice and your own look right but just yeah. trying to do some of the things that the NRL or follow the lead of what the NRL are doing so when it comes to like your 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 awesome photography for example like you would have seen um Chuckstagram for example any mm. Instagram followers will see his work and he does incredible, yeah. like, action shots um, at yeah. NRL games. I'm not saying that all the, like, I'm not saying to expect that at, like, a USARL level, for example, but I've seen recently, like, the Serbian Rugby League, um, Red Star Belgrade in particular, like, producing some really incredible action photos, like, getting them professionally taken at their games, mm. and they yeah. use them for social media. And it makes a massive difference because all of a sudden – it doesn't look like a social club or park football. It looks like, hey, this is a professional outfit that plays rugby league in another part of the world. And and people respond to that really well. So it's important that, you know, we lift to those standards. And there's a whole, I've noticed recently, you know, a whole bunch of new initiatives with International Rugby League, Sarah, and you've mentioned them. Mm-hmm. For example, the rebrand from RLIF to IRL, which is mm-hmm. sort of still happening now. The new website mm-hmm. has launched Tell us a little yeah. bit about those initiatives, like the and in particular the rebrand. Like, what was the thinking behind that, and and why is that so important for our sport? Uh, the rebrand came about um, through the digital project, actually. So my scope of work includes um, a digital um, redevelopment in its entirety. So looking at consumer-facing platforms and how the fan uh, engages with international rugby league, but then also looking at some of the business processes and procedures um, that have historically been done through phone calls or email chains and looking how we digitise those and centralise those. So... Um, and also looking at how we, we better market the sport. So there's really sort of three key facets to the digital project. One, uh, one is digital asset management. I think this ties in really nicely with our, with our marketing conversation yep. because uh, in 2017 when I uh, – in 2015 when I started with World Cup, there was no archive of uh, footage or photography for any international games. There was no um, central repository for logos, team crests. Uh, there was no information, no online centralised information um, or uh, data, for example. There's nothing. So um, part of this work that I'm doing with International Rugby League is developing the digital asset management, which then can be distributed or there for member nations to access. And that in itself will just help exponentially uh, for their marketing purposes. and, and again, you know, like we, t- we talk about resources and, and um, you know, Chucky does an amazing job with his team of photographers, you know, yep. him leading those team of photographers for the NRL. We've seen that improve incredibly over the last five years. Of course, that's not in the realm of possibility for yep. a lot of member nations. And I think that's sort of where we need to start, um, I don't know, being a little more persuasive as marketing managers and um and saying to the powers that be, you know, we don't need to resource every single game, but we do need to resource, you know, one photographer at one game and then use those photos for the rest of the season, just have some really, really nice visuals that we can then use to market the game. So that's the digital asset management side of things. 
You've touched on the um, consumer-facing website, so that's intrl.sport. So that URL is in conjunction with GAFES, who we have um, a tight relationship with yep. um, to be to be recognised as a, as a global sport. Um, that's up and running and continues to grow on a daily basis. Um, and that, so that's that's all your consumer-facing um, historic information, historic scores, um, information on members, information on how the sport is governed globally. Um, and then the other really important part of this, the digital transformation, is a member portal. So that's an administrative system where member nations can log in and gain access to resources to help administer the game in their nations. Yep. But then also things like um, the annual membership audit or um, a match sanctioning process, for example. Those processes, those business, really, really essential business processes for the International Federation are now going to be digitised. Um, so it really sort of um, is a, a big step to legitimising the International Federation. Um, but how that, to, to answer your question, um, <laughs> how that sort of ties back into, into the rebrand is that we knew these digital uh, platforms needed to be built uh, and I had a rough idea before scoping it properly what needed to happen. Yep. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, how can I brief a digital agency? How can I go to market with such a huge piece of work yep. when we don't have brand guidelines? We have a dated logo and I only have an old JPEG, like I don't even have an APS version of the logo. Yeah, wow. I have an an old pixelated JPEG in one colour format, in, in one, um, you know, portrait landscape, portrait format. So can we just, can we just, it? can we just stop Sarah? Let's yeah, explain yeah, yeah. because I know what you're talking about. Matt knows what you're talking about. What, yeah. JP, uh, JPEG, EPS, PNG, mm. What's what's different? What, why is it important to have an EPS? Because some people wouldn't understand that, and I think it's important that Absolutely. we explain it. Yeah, yeah, it totally is. Um, so basically, you have different formats of different images um, uh, for for different applications. So a JPEG is used as a um, a print variation. So you, if you're printing a brochure, for example, you can put a, a JPEG on it. But if you set a JPEG to um, five centimeters by five centimeters that's exactly how big it is. If you try to blow it up, then the pixels yep. are duplicated so um, you don't have enough pixels to fill a 10-centimetre square, for example. That's so when it gets you, pixelated you, or blurry, yep. starts to get yep. blurry and look really crappy, as we know. Yep. Um, and EPS is... is um, uh, it can be scaled. It's a mathematical equation and it can be scaled to infinity, basically. It's... Um, it, you can... Use it for print, but it's also really good for, for digital applications yep. uh, where you want a really nice, crisp in, image. So when you're talking about quality of image and looking as profession, professional and sharp as possible, these things, these little details do really matter. Amazing. And that, that whole, because I speak to, obviously, Sarah, you know this, I speak to so many people from nations and clubs all the way around the world, and they're asking for this. They're like, we need a place where we can access paperwork and, and mm. imagery and just a database of things. So I think it's amazing. How far off do you think it is? And I know sometimes it's like, how long is a piece of string? Like you're really building yeah. a foundation here and it, and it's potentially just ongoing, like always building. Yeah. But when will, when will the member nations have access to this kind of stuff? So the digital asset management is up. It's live. It's yep. now just a matter of finding all of our digital assets. So if you can imagine for the last however many decades that yep. things have been stored online or not even online, like 
they're literally in someone on someone's hard drive on the other and th- th- there is this and you would know carbs but there is this small network of international rugby league enthusiasts yep. and we all sort of know each other yep. so you sort of have a rough <laughs> idea of where to find things so if i'm looking for a 2013 image of a specific jillaroo's player from uh you know in england i ring neil and i say hey neil you know that hard drive <laughs> in your bookshelf um do you this image and generally if he doesn't he'll point me to someone else so it's a matter of uh looking at all those those resources and and tracking down all of those hard drives and now putting them online we're up to um uh i think we're up to about five thousand images and four thousand videos so really early days um we've also got a whole heap store with the nrl and there's some some photography contractors in new zealand and um and england we're also working on um you know putting those photos across onto our own digital asset management um there's some also you know tricky copyright um of course. Uh, obligations and regulations to, to work around. Um, but how long is a piece of string? I would say um, certainly by the end of this year, members will have access um, to a really nice library. They've got access to a small library at the moment. Um, the The portal is due to go live in September. So members will, um, all, all of these sort of official um, procedures will start to be digitised from the end of this year. Great. And as you know, the website's live now, but it's just a matter of content uploading uh, to, to the website now. That's going to be amazing for some of, especially the newer nations, to have resources like where's our rule book or what's this regulation or where can I find some images. It's, it's incredible. So well done. And you've probably had some extra time during COVID-19 in lockdown so that's been good as well i'm gonna have to ask you for access to this photo database because i need it for my for my social media so yeah we'll we'll talk off air but um maddie um i want to i want to talk to you about logos mate because we mentioned we mentioned the eps's and jpegs and pngs and one thing that i want to talk to you about as well is the importance of an eps and the, the good thing for listeners out there that don't really understand it the good thing about an eps is you can you get the outline of the picture or the logo or the item without sort of a background. So you, you miss out on what I hate. I hate seeing jerseys and you'll probably hate this too. Jerseys with like a white box around the logo. And sometimes it's there for a reason, but most of the time it could be because the, the design has been supplied a JPEG or a PNG, but the EPS, you can, you don't have a background and you can also get a reverse version of the logo in white that you can chuck onto any color. Tell us a little bit about that, mate, and why that's so important, and, and sort of your your jersey design process. Yeah, I just think from a from a visual standpoint, like you said, but, um, for for me personally, I think it's frustrating to see that that box that comes around when you've got a JPEG clearly put onto a um, onto a piece of clothing. You know, when I was growing up, I didn't know these things. I ordered a, a jersey, supplied a JPEG, came back, and I was very uh, upset about what I got back. But you know, I, I've learned that now. And um, yeah, it's definitely just a visual thing from my point of view. That that's all, all I see from from the box and such. But it's definitely important to to have that that EPS file. So there's so like you said, there's so many different ways you can use the logo then instead of just getting that that PNG or the JPEG. If you get the EPS, you can use it in a variety of ways on a variety of different platforms. So that 
yeah, if if you are approaching a designer, definitely ask for the EPS. Great stuff, man. And what what are some of the while we're talking jersey design? Like, what are some of the trends you're seeing? You've mentioned you've designed jerseys for for Italy and for uh, for the Netherlands and so many nations around the world. I've noticed a whole lot of fun jerseys you've designed for for clubs in the US. You know, Boston Thirteens you've designed jerseys for as well. What are some of the trends you're seeing um, at the moment worldwide? Rugby league is an interesting one. So it kind of either goes one of two ways when when people approach me. Um, so there's the the group who want this really unique jersey. They want to go away from the V. Uh, they want to stand out. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do like that. And a lot of people don't like the rugby union style of jersey that's a bit, uh, a bit more out there. But, you know, I'd like to see that incorporated into league more. But in saying that, I think it's important that, if you've already got an existing brand that you have a look back at what you've you've used previously and you build on that instead of just going completely out there and if it's a completely new uh, brand I think um, it's better to be cautious than to go out there with something crazy because one thing I know about rugby league fans is there are a lot of <laughs> traditionalists in rugby league so yeah. uh, and and that's the other side of it so there's a lot of uh, international teams who come to me and say, you know, we've got to display the V on the jersey. Uh, people people recognise the V uh, with rugby league. As you know, your logo's got the V there. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and, and definitely I agree. And it, it is important from that aspect. But I also think if you're a country, it, it might not be the best thing to put the V on there to appeal to the Australian market, whereas – the people uh, locally where you are won't recognise the V as that. So maybe it's better to go for that out there design that focuses more on the area that you're from. It is important to really, um, I mean, rugby league culture is one thing, but when you're introducing it to new markets, you really need to embrace the culture that you're introducing it to so that they understand it and they can they they see a part of themselves in this new sport that they've never really seen or heard of. And one good example of that, I think, is um, I think you designed the California rugby league jerseys, mate for San Fran and for, for LA Mongrel as well. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Now, and they've got, you know, they're very like NFL looking shirts. They're obviously a bit tighter. They're more rugby league style. They've got the big numbers at the front and they cop a lot of flack for that or they have copped a lot of flack from that in on the east, from, you know, fans on the Eastern Seaboard of Australia and Northern England. But over in the US, you know, that's football. That's, that's, that's football in America and that's, you know, rugby league, are basically just assimilating with sport culture over there to introduce the sport. And I think stuff like that is really important. And um, I'm glad they they went away from the V in that instance and went with the big numbers on those jerseys because, you know, if they're going to grow, if you're going to grow the sport in a new region, you really need to speak to that new region. Yeah, I completely agree. So uh, I've just done a little bit more work with California Rugby League and, and the same thing. I don't think it's going to appeal to the traditionalists in the league, but um, it, it's the market that they're in. So they've got to appeal to the people who, what they know and what they love. And I think they're doing a really good job with the jerseys they're coming out with over there. Sensational. Sarah, tell me a little bit about some of the nations you're working with and who, who like we've just mentioned California Rugby League and how they're doing things right for their market. Who are mm. some other examples that you can think of? And it can be, it can be design wise. It can be social media wise. It can be digitally. It can be something really small like photography, but who do you think is doing a good job and maybe give us an example of something you've seen more recently? 
Yeah, look, I, th- I think there's a, a few. I think everyone, you know, does does the best they can with, with what they've got. Yeah. I think the standouts at the moment, um, I think Brazil, I think you've had Robert Bergen yeah. on your podcast. So you've got you've got a real driver um, and a real energy force behind that. So I think Brazil is doing some, some cool creative work and some cool branding, which is nice, and also just really amplifying that on social. So um, that's good to see. I think um, Cameroon, I would say, yeah. is a is a real uh, standout uh, and one that you might not expect. I think they've got um, they've actually got great branding. Yep. Uh, and there's been some really cool social pieces come through from Cameroon lately. Um, and nothing polished, you know, like their, their brand is quite polished um, and looks lovely. The amazing colours coming through, but. Um, some of their social content is just raw, authentic, yep. unedited, yep. and it's getting picked up by mass media. It's going bananas. So that's really great to see. I think that especially on social media, like, mm-hmm. and it's a catch-22, we speak about how, we spoke earlier about how the logo and the brand and the jersey needs to look the part. But mm. there's something about social media that can be raw and real and, and that, yeah. you know, can stand out as well. So we saw um, th- there's been a lot of um, African rugby league footage in particular of people running around and it's like red dirt fields and like dust yeah. everywhere. And it's been incredible to watch. And it's yeah. just so unique, but also very real, which is fantastic. Um and yeah, I think that's definitely. great. You touched on Brazil and I just like, again, it comes back to the photography thing, right? Like mm-hmm. we don't all have Chucky, Chuckstagrams, you know, that can mm-hmm. that can help out every nation. But mm-hmm. what, when Brazil last year, they had their club competition, men's and women's, and one of the female players was a photographer and she mm-hmm. brought her camera along and took some great action photos. And some of the photos were absolutely amazing and, and she sent mm-hmm. me some and and we're able to use those and they've been Brazil have been able to use those. They've got some really good shots that they can use for their marketing right up until yeah. the World Cup now. And I think that's yeah. important. That's the other thing that's important as well, not being afraid to engage with media. So, and I can speak from experience when I say there are there are a handful of like people from nations and clubs all the way around the world who they understand what this this podcast is all about. They know what our social mm. media is all about. And they will literally send me information and photos and score lines and little media releases and all sorts of things like player profiles mm. every single week. Mm-hmm. And it's an important way. It's the old, I mean, it's the old PR. Like you remember the old PR agencies, they used to write their media release and send it out to all the newspapers hoping to get picked up and some some media time. It's yeah. the exact same thing. And it's it comes down to time as well, like having someone mm-hmm. that can actually do that. And um it's it's but it's really important you know and yeah I think so too. I think it's a, it's a really good point because, um, you know, you talk about earned media and yeah. these member nations don't always have media managers. So even some of the more established uh, member nations don't necessarily have full-time media managers. But I think it's up to each member nation and even the regional confederations yeah. to really find your your advocates. So like yourself, Carbs, and like your, um, your podcast, you know, you're not necessarily mainstream media but you are a brilliant advocate for international rugby league so it's so worth tapping into <laughs> that no thank you um it is so worth tapping into that from you know 
it's something that I try to do. Um, you know, it's not going to cost us anything, but, um, you know, partnering with yourself um, for last year's international um, and, you know, the end of year international round. Yeah. Um, to, to do a weekly podcast and, and having that affiliation, something that may not necessarily cost anything, but um, that really works for everyone. Yep. So I think it's, um, yeah, that's a, it's a really good point and a, um, a good tip for men, member nations. Sensational. Uh, do you have any advice for, and you don't have to name names or name nations or name clubs, Sarah, but mm. any advice to any out there that could be doing things a little bit better or what, like, what would you do to sort of help, help people grow the game a little bit more in their, their particular part of the world? Uh, yeah, look, I suppose I touched on it earlier and that is um, really choose where you're spending your resources. You know, we all have tight resources. If you can find a photographer go to go to one map, great, and then use those images and use those Im- images in a templated sort of solution. So, um, you know, you see NRL clubs, not just NRL, but, you know, any sort of major sporting body clubs and federations um, using templated uh, thematic content. So, you know, your full-time template, your half-time score template, your player of the match template, um, have those designed. Like if you have a, a small amount of resources to spend, spend them in something that can be used again and again and again. Um, I'd also just, you know, to, to sound pretty cliche in terms of marketing, keep it simple. Yeah. Um, really narrow it down to what the objective is. For a lot of member nations, it may not be selling tickets, you know. Maybe um, maybe it's just reaching a new market or, um, you know, a bit more of an awareness campaign. Um, so if that's the objective, stay true to that and keep it simple. I think that's perfect. That's one thing I learned very early on in my advertising marketing days. You need goals, you need objectives, and everything needs to be funneled and directed towards those. Everything you do, that mm. every question you ask, the answer needs to be something related to that end goal. And um, if you can do that, if every brief has that is related to that answer, then yeah. you're going to find that you can build to that next step. And then once you do, you find you set the next target and you just keep building and building and building and building. It's kind of like what I said before, you know, do things that, that follow what the NRL are doing. But once you sort of get there, start to build your own culture and your own your own style and, and, and your own voice. And I think that's really important. What about you, Maddie? What's, what's some advice that you have? And feel feel free to speak to you know, some, you follow, you know, NFL and other sports and things like that. What are some things that you've seen maybe elsewhere that some of the developing rugby league clubs and nations could be doing to, to help with their branding and their marketing? Yeah. So I like to look at the the club level. So um, I think a a good comparison at the moment is the Ottawa and New York city, um, the bids and obviously Ottawa has been accepted. So slightly different situations, but I like to compare the two and the markets they're trying to reach um, at the moment. And I I find it like uh, Sarah said before, you know, limited resources, everyone's doing the best they can with what they've got. It's more, not criticisms, more just observations of what they're doing at the moment. Um, And honestly, they're both doing really well. I think Ottawa's, really speaking to not only the Australian and uh, UK market, but they're, they're honing in on their own city. Uh, whereas I think yeah. when I look at the New York uh, page, it, there's a lot of trying to reach the Australian market, but I don't feel like I'm learning a lot about rugby league in New York when I'm looking at those pages. So I think 
there's got to be that balance because I know a lot of people do want to uh, do want to be connected in a way where you can go to their sites and still feel like you know what's going on, but you also want to learn about what's happening in those cities and how leagues expanding in those regions. Yep. So. Yep. Yep. Awesome, guys. Um, it's it's been great conversation so far. I have a made a big question that I want to ask you both to sort of round round this up. And Sarah, you mentioned um, Neil Wood earlier, who works at the International Rugby League as well. Great guy, and he's mm-hmm. a good friend of both of ours. He once said to me that rugby league, he, he called it the Vegemite analogy. So rugby league is a little bit like Vegemite. So, and you may have heard this one before as well, but he said it's extremely popular in, in, in one nation. Um, and other countries kind of know about it. They've heard about it. They're not sure what they think about it. There's other variations of it, but, uh, how do we make it, how do we make it so that this commodity that is extremely popular in Australia, popular all over the world? What do you think, Sarah, are some steps we can take to use marketing and design to hashtag grow rugby league into the future? Uh, well, you know, uh, that's the million dollar question, Carl. <laughs> um, no, look, it, there, there are a lot of really hardworking, really smart people working to do that now. Like if I look at the scope of work I, I've been working on and the people I've been working with, um, you know, putting these resources in place for member nations to access um, will certainly help grow the game of rugby league. Yep. Um, uh, I, well, I'd like to see a bit more collaboration with the boots on the ground. Yep. Um, I think at a top level, you know, you've got you've got with international rugby league that you've got a board table that is um, you know surrounded by people from each region of rugby league, and they work really well together. Yep. But I think. The next step I'd love to see is for that filtering down and for the boots on the ground having, you know, regular marketing meetings, regular um, global whips to um, to work out how we can leverage each other's stories and not just the big guys, you know, not just RFL and NRL, but let's get Cameroon and Brazil talking to the Cook Islands and, um, and you know, the Netherlands or, or whoever it be. Like let's um, – Let's all sort of work together is what I'd love to say a bit more. It's like a chasing kangaroos marketing agency of some kind. That's awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maddie, what about yourself, mate? Same question. How do we how do we use design and brand to, to hashtag grow rugby league into the future? It's a big question to throw at a jersey designer, Carlos, <laughs> but um, uh, I just think uh, before the design and everything comes along, I think you've just got to have the right people on the ground and, and looking at the USA as an example, I think uh, obviously that there's a few issues over there about the growth of the game, but you know, yep. you've got Tom in California, you've got Nate across the board there. And with, with those people in the right positions, uh, the game's going to grow organically. And then from a design point of view, like we've touched on, I just think giving the sport uh, that, competitive edge by being a professional looking sport rather than an amateur looking sport um everyone's going to find out what the game is they're going to love it and yeah we've we've solved the rugby league growth 
<laughs> I wish it was that easy. And look, the the truth to the matter is, it's it's a good question to ask. The real answer is, there's no one answer. There are so many variations, and so many plans, and so many strategies, and so many things that need to come into play and be put in place. And and I think collaboration is definitely key. I think professionalism is definitely key. And you've both hit on on those separately. You've hit on both mm-hmm. of those. I think the important thing is as a sport and we're learning we're seeing this from from the NRL at the moment the NRL is really here in Australia leading the way in terms of sport in terms of brand in terms of marketing and there's a there's especially this season there's a certain confidence that comes from the NRL, NRL brand that we haven't seen anywhere before the NRL you know in the past has been you know sort of following on what what the AFL's doing or kind of watching what rugby union's doing or competing with what soccer's doing but at the moment the NRL is just leading the pack they are confident and they're not worried about the other players in the game they're running their own race they're doing their own thing and they're being they've really grown into their own their own clothes and have their own voice and I think that's an important lesson that the rest of the world needs to to understand Cavs I'm going to be a stick in the mud and, yeah. and disagree a little bit go for it um, yeah 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 I- I, I, I agree. I, I think the NRL do an amazing job. Yep. I think um, I, I think they probably look to the states a lot. I think in in um, oh, yep, know, definitely. Australia we, we look at the states and, and we model that. And I think kudos. I think they're doing that really well, and they've got a really individual stamp in the Australian market. Yep. But I think I think international rugby league is different, and I think we need to be different. Um, and I think our point of difference yep. is our stories. I don't think um, I, I don't think there is a, a stronger selling point to any sport than national patriotism, and that's what we've got that any national governing body such as the NRL don't have. So I think the power in international rugby league is telling our stories. And I, um, I don't think we're disagreeing at all. I agree with that a hundred percent. We need to tell mm-hmm. our stories, and like we need to tell them conf- confidently. We can't mm-hmm. be in the shadows of rugby union, which we seem to be in some part of the world. We just need to say, Definitely. "This is us. This is our story. Let's yeah. be confident and let's tell it, and let's just lead it, lead the way, or run our own race." And I agree with you. There are certain things in rugby league that you just don't have in other parts of the world. And we, we talk about it on this show, on this podcast every week, like there are so many African nations taking up the game at the moment and there's potential for rivalries that you don't see in many other codes. Yeah, um, You know, you see – yeah, sorry, go ahead, Sarah. Oh, I, I just think, you know, I was going to second that by saying, um, again, like back to the stories, you look at the African nations, you look at the the, the video that went viral a couple yep. of weeks ago of the Cameroon guy, you look at the story of, of where that guy has come from. So that's on our website now, um, which also did amazingly well. You look at the story of the Cameroon um, – national team catching a bus eight hours yeah. <laughs> uh, to the uh, to the MEA championships and being held at gunpoint. Like that's a story. You look back at 20, uh, 2017 at the, the romanticism around Tonga. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember when Tonga named their, their side and Tafita defected and he'd already been been named for Australia the day before. In fact, I was at the, the um, photo shoot, the team photo shoot, which he was in the day before before um and you had uh you know four, four players that weren't expected to be named for Tonga that were named um that day we had 
200,000 new users to the website wow. to click on Tonga's yeah. team list only. And I think if you roll all that story in there and that passion, that patriotism, we've got something that um, is pretty special. And if you think about as well, like talk about uniqueness, right? Is there a sport in the world, and, and we're not a massive sport in the world by any stretch, but is there a sport in the world where at a World Cup, for example, you can have two nations play each other one, before the game. One of them performs a haka, the other one mm. performs a sipitao, and then mm. in the next game on the other side of Australia, another nation sits around and forms a prayer circle before their match. It's just incredible, like these sort of little cultural aspects that we bring to our game that you don't see anywhere else. Throw into that next so World much. Cup, we're going to have the Jamaicans doing their thing as well. And, and just, it's incredible. And I, I think it's, a, it's so incredible. I think you then transplant that from Oceania, from yeah. Australia, transplant that into Huddersfield, yeah. into uh, Manchester, into Northern England, and you uh, layer the Northern English culture Love across <laughs> the city towns and the hackers. I think it's going to be an incredible spectacle. It's going to be huge. And I think, and that's kind of what I was getting at before. So, not by any stretch was I saying that we all need to be the NRL and the NRL's 100% right. But yeah. I think we need to have the confidence that they're showing right now because like like you said, Maddie, people are going to love this game if they haven't seen it before. They're going to love it. And we need to be confident in that and just really show off our unique stories to the world. And, and that's the real answer, I think. So that comes back to those goals and those, that I was talking about earlier. If that's the goal for many of these nations, many of these clubs, many of these these governing bodies, then, you know, all you need to do is think about how can we strive towards that? What strategies can we put in place? What can we set budget aside and how can we achieve, you know, that goal at the end? And um, mm. I think that's really important. Uh, what do you guys think? Any final comments? Matt, over to you. <laughs> <laughs> Matt. I think I, I, I've talked enough, I think. Um, yeah, no, I'm a bit of a blank here at the moment. Guys, um, I, I can, that's fine. It's been a, I think it's been a passionate discussion and I love it because I think this is so important and it's often overlooked in our sport. It has been for a long, long time. And I think we've, um, people like yourselves who are doing things at, at your own spectrum of the game as well, um, really Sarah, you're laying the foundations, you know, for what I think is going to be a solid future for our sport at an international level. Matt, you're helping some of the little guys do things that they could never have dreamed of or imagined they would have um, for a long, long time. So these sorts of things are finally happening in our game. And I'm, I'm really glad that we've got to shed some light into the marketing and branding side of the people that are hashtag growing rugby league. So thank you. Um, guys, let the listeners know where they can find you. So, Sarah, um, where can people follow you? And are your services available, your digital consultancy services available to anyone else or is it just exclusive well, to International Rugby League at the moment? So I, I'm on a reduced hours for, <laughs> for COVID, so I happen to have some time available. Um, I'm not I'm not hugely active on Twitter, but you can tweet at Piper Sarah, Sarah without an H, or um, find me on LinkedIn or any of the others, I'm sure. Um, yeah, you, you can find me. Sensational. What about yourself, Maddie? How can um, any aspiring clubs or developing nations contact you for that logo or jersey design if they if they need it? 
Yeah, just head to matthainesport.com or across the social channel, just at matthainesport. So feel free to reach out. Good branding. Um, awesome, guys. Um, like I said, really appreciate you guys coming on for a chat. It has been fantastic. And hopefully the listeners and in particular uh, those in the growing rugby league nations around the world who do listen to this show have gotten some good advice out of it. Thanks, Carbs. Great to be on and hashtag grow the game. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Carbs. Love it. Thanks for chasing kangaroos with me, guys. Bye.